Good morning, church. Isn't that so true? Mankind knows no greater love than that. That one would lay down their life. And that's what Christ did. That echoes on throughout eternity. And today, hopefully, you know that love. You know that love in an intimate way. Because it's true. If you were the only person that was ever created, Christ would have still came down and died for your sins. So that you could be redeemed. So that you could have uh, true fellowship with him. Amen. Uh, today, before we get started, I just want to encourage you. Don't know where you're at this week or what your weeks look like, or what challenges you've been facing or where you find yourself uh, just in your walk with the Lord. But <clears throat> today I want to encourage everyone, myself included, to not fear anything but God. You see, over... A hundred times throughout Scripture, we are commanded not to fear. And, and obviously, it's there so many times because our propensity is to fear, is to be, be, be fearful, to be scared, to, to, to have anxiety uh, about many things in life. But we, we need to understand, saints, that the spirit of fear is unclean. It's an unclean spirit. It's not from God. It's not from the Father. Fear is not from Him. There's no fear in Him. So it doesn't come from Him. Fear is from Satan. It, 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 it is, it is, it is a, a tool that Satan uses to worm his way in and to get people to not trust the Lord. You see, ungodly fear paralyzes and cripples people. They can't do anything. Look at the pandemic. People are still reeling from that. They don't want to leave their house. They, they don't want to do certain things because they're afraid that they're going to get sick and they're going to get sick and they're going to die. Well, we know because the Bible speaks about it all the time. Death is going to come whether we like it or not. But we shouldn't be paralyzed. You see, godly fear, on the other hand, humbles us and encourages us to cling to Jesus Christ. The holy fear of God. It's refreshing. It's clean. It revives the soul. There's so much benefit to fear God and not fear man and not fear the circumstances of life. You see, church, when, when you and I choose, because remember, we have free will, when we choose to embrace the spirit of fear, we actually take ourselves in that moment out of fellowship with God. We're out of fellowship with God when we're fearful. Think about it for a minute. Have you been fearful of something this week? If you were fearful of something this week, in that moment of you being fearful and embracing that fear, you took yourself out of fellowship, out of communion with God. You see, because God is holy. He's set apart. He cannot embrace sin. And what did we just say? The spirit of, of fear is from Satan. So that, that's sinful. It is sinful to fear because fear at its core is saying, I don't trust you, God. Fearful of your finances. I won't give. I won't give to somebody out on the street. I won't give because I'm fearful that I won't have enough. That's, that's a sin. Fearful of your health. Oh, I, 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 I'm fearful of, of, of getting sick. Fearful of death. Fearful of what's going to happen to your kids. Commit your children to the Lord and he will keep them no matter what they go through. But when we live with a spirit of fear, we're saying we don't trust you, God. In our distrust of God, we fear. So when you find yourself being fearful, you, I, we need to combat that, rebuke it. And break off that spirit of fear trying to keep us down. Break off that spirit of fear by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, that's so encouraging. That's so comforting that we don't have to fear. Amen? 
This morning we're uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, just a couple verses. Uh, I believe the Lord is going to speak. I'm excited for what he's going to do this morning. But we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be going through verses 7 down through 10. Uh, so when you get there, if you could, please stand for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, we do have some in the back. The text will be on the, uh, the screens to, the, uh, to, the, to your right and behind me. Once again, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 down through 10. This message is entitled, Enjoy Life with the One You Love. All right, let's go ahead and uh, read our, our verses. It says, starting in verse 7, Go! Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because this because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, yes, Lord. we... <laughs> We just, we need you, Lord. We, we cry out to you, Abba, Father. We, we just, we want your presence in our lives. Please, please do not take your Holy Spirit from us. We know without, without you, we have no hope. But Lord, I thank you that you've given us fresh life. You've given us eyes in our, on our hearts to see. You've opened them so that we can be aware of your presence in our lives. Would you manifest more of yourself to us this moment? May there be a supernatural anointing that falls upon every single person here. That they would understand your word. That they would be able to rightly divide your word. That they would understand the importance of having true fellowship with you. That this is, just, this is not a game. This is not a joke. This is not entertainment. That they have come to meet with you, the true and living. God. That's why we're here. We're not here for anything else. We want to honor you. We want to praise you. We want to glorify you. We want to magnify who you are in our lives and in our midst because you are our creator. So Father, please may what is said and done here be a sweet smelling aroma to you. Lord, if we if we need to be rebuked, would you would you would you kindly and gently rebuke us? Your word says that you chasten those that are yours. And if we do not get corrected, that we're illegitimate and you are not our father. I don't want Satan ain't my father. I don't want the father lie to be Satan to be with me or with any of your people. So, Father, help us, Lord, to engage with you this moment. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we uh, we began chapter nine and we we looked at what was going on here. We learned that that death comes to all. I know it's not a I know it's not a pretty message. I know it's not a not not it's 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 not something fun to engage in. But again, it's a matter of perspective. If if we don't have Christ, if we haven't submitted, we're going to be scared out of our boots about death. I mean, I get it. Nobody wants to die. I don't want to die. I want to be like Enoch. I want to be taken up from here. You know, now, hey, if we're the generation that sees Christ, we're going to get raptured and we, we will see him like that. But if that's not the case and we're not that generation, then you know what? We're going to see death. But we can walk into death knowing that Jesus Christ has defeated sin, death, hell and the grave. And that we can be confident that he has entr he's entrusted himself to us and we're good to go if that time comes for us. We learn that no matter how we try to prolong it from happening at some point, we will experience it. But instead of looking at it and being depressed, looking at death and being dismayed and, and, and feeling like a dark cloud over us, we as Christians need to take hold of the opportunities that he's given us in this life to do good and live for Christ while we have the opportunity to do so. Amen. Michelle alluded to it earlier. It's a beautiful day out. I mean, it's beautiful. I was walking to the loop and I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm feeling the breeze. I'm walking with my son. I'm like, man, I'm looking at the hills just like she taught us. It's beautiful out here. What more do you want? This is, this is it, being able to experience this and experience the sensation of, 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 of the goodness of that, that God gives you in, in, in being able to witness his creation. Praise God. We were talking earlier. We, we got our faculties. I'm like, Mark, you got your faculties about you. 
You know, no, no, no matter how nutty and, and, and loony we all may be, we're all a little off. But that's okay. But we got our faculties. We, we can think cognitively about right and wrong. Do you know that there's many people in the world, they, they can't do that. They really don't. And it's so sad. It's not that they don't know, but their consciences have been so seared that they do not recognize right from wrong anymore. And they're just bent. And that's not a good thing. But as believers, we need to take every opportunity to do good in the Lord. And that even though we learned this last week, even though both the the righteous and the wicked are in the hand of God, we still have a responsibility of how we use our free will. We were reminded that if we fail to have and gain a genuine uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, all that we can really look forward to is, is this life. And that's where that saying comes from. There's nothing new under the sun. Live in your best life now. Unfortunately, people that live with that premise, they're living with this under the sun kind of premise. They don't see any hope or any eternity. All they see is right now, right now, right now. So all they do is live for right now. But living for right right now is short-sighted. It's not going to be a party in hell. There's not going to be no music. There's not going to be no entertaining. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the cursing of the Lord Jesus Christ's name. They're not going to be happy. People are gnawing off your face. Horrible, horrible things. not, not, Not even made for human beings and the souls of men. But unfortunately, those who will not repent before they die will end up in that place for eternity. Void of Jesus Christ, no one on earth has any real hope of eternal life. Finally, we were encouraged to gauge God's love based on what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Not the difficulties and the struggles that we face in this life. You see, many times we can base Uh, what we think God's love for us is out of our circumstances. Why is this happening to me? Why is, why is, why did I get a raw deal? But we don't recognize that like, I can't, I can't explain why some people have it harder than others, but I know this. I know that God died for the sins of the world. And I know that the, the, the circumstances we're all in at this very moment, they're not going to last for eternity. It may seem like it's an eternity, but we need to keep our eyes and our gaze fixed on Jesus and what he has done and and, and the freedom and the liberties in Christ that we have to live a a, a sin free life. And we don't have to walk around with guilt and shame and depressed, but we can be elated and rejoice in the love and the joy and the peace that he gives us, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances. Amen. All right. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. Believers in Christ Jesus should strive to keep their garments white. Believers in Christ should strive to live in a way where they keep their spiritual garments white. The second main point is this. Enjoy the time that you have with the wife of your youth. We'll get into that more in a minute. And the third main point is this. Whatever work you find to do in this life, do it with all your might, with all your energy, with all your strength. The chief end of man is to glorify God in all that we do. Amen. All right. So let's look at verse nine. uh, Excuse me. Verse seven of Ecclesiastes chapter nine. It says, go eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. When we look a little bit closer at this statement, there is something very remarkable that we need to take hold of. At the end of this verse, he says, God has already approved what you do. What does this mean? Well, it's actually a prelude to what the New Testament calls the new covenant. You see, God's new provision of living fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we just sang about it. Because he accomplished the work on the cross, it's clear from the New Testament that God has given us a gift of approval of righteousness in him. That's amazing. You're no longer condemned If you receive Christ as your savior and because if you are saved, 
We already have that by faith. We are freed and no longer do we have to struggle to try and please God. That's the difference between legalism and works and living out a a work-based faith and and, and a faith-based faith in Christ. Those are who, who, who are in the legalistic, the legalities of things, they're, they're always like, I didn't read enough. I, I didn't give enough money. I, I didn't support enough ministries. I didn't pray for enough people. I, 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 didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It's like, it's like, it's like Mary and Martha. <laughs> Martha was doing a good thing, but she stressed out pots, pans, cooking, you know what I mean? All these wooden spoons everywhere. Man, what's going on? Mary, how come you ain't helping me? I'm sweating bullets in this kitchen trying to get things right for Jesus. Mary's like, man, I'm just chilling at the feet of my king. <laughs> and Jesus commended her for it. Said, Martha, why are you all stressed out? We need to pick the decision that's going to be best. Not to be stressed out, but to sit at the feet of Christ. And we can do that now. We don't have to strive for his approval because of what he has done. We can live in a way that does please him because you and I have already been accepted and approved by him because it's what he did. You know, I had to learn this the hard way reading the Bible. I was like, it's not about me. It's not about trying to find myself in the text. It's trying about finding Christ in the text and having the Holy Spirit reveal to you all these things about Jesus and what he's done and what he's continuing to do and what he will do. That's what the Bible's about. When we, when we read the Bible with the, with the me first mentality, we're getting it all wrong. We're getting it all backwards. It's about him. It's about receiving what he's done for you and just accepting it. Sometimes it's so hard for us to just accept that grace, that mercy, and that forgiveness. It's that easy. It's a childlike faith. But many, many of us, we're, we're too sophisticated in our thinking. We think we got to pull up our bootstraps. we got to do it ourselves. We're, we're intellectually strong. We're smart. We're witty. We may be all that, but that won't get you into heaven, my friend. Only the blood of Christ that cleanses a wayward sinner like yourself and myself. You see, we are able to enjoy our bread with joy and drink our wine with a merry heart, all the physical provisions for our body that God provides by the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's why we're able to enjoy it, because of what he did. So we're not living in shame. We're not living in guilt. So we can enjoy all of these provisions that he provides for us. The application is this. If you truly want to find significance in your life, if you want to find deep meaning, peace, love, joy, and contentment, this is the basis of it. Believe what God has given you already. And then on that basis, live your life to the fullest. Again, believe. See, it's it's a thing to believe. So many people are, 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 are blocked off because they just don't believe. And, and if you're struggling this morning with belief, this is what you got to do. You need to ask God to give you belief. Ask him for faith. Just say, Lord, I'm struggling with my faith. I want to believe you, but it's so hard. Uh, I'm walking by sight, not by faith. I need you to reveal yourself in such a way that you become alive to me. That it's not just some historical figure that I'm reading out of a page in a book. But it's a real experience. It's experiential. I know that you're, I want to know that you're alive. I want to know that you love me. I want to know that you care for me. If you're desperate enough, you'll get on your knees before God when no one else is around and and you'll do it. (laughs) Don't cry out to me because I ain't God. But if, if, if you really want it, you'll go for it. And he'll reveal himself to you. Amen. Fill your life with all that is of true value, reason, and worth. Think of it this way. Why were you and I created in the first place? You ever ask yourself that? Why, why, why was I even created? Why am I here? What, what is my purpose? You've made me a human being. I'm a human. I can think. I can reason. I have a free will. You didn't make me into a jackal. You didn't make me into a sperm whale. You didn't make me into a honeybee. I am a human being. I have a living soul inside of me. I mean, Yahweh, which is the personal name of God, he lacks nothing. 
He lacks absolutely nothing at all. He has complete, perfect community within himself, within the Godhead. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit. They are perfect. There's there's no need or lack of anything within them, within the Godhead. He is fully, fully, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's, he's complete. He has no he has no 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 need that's unmet. But get this. He by nature is a cheerful giver. He cheerfully gives. And in his perfect and complete nature, he desired someone else to share his goodness with. So in his infinite creativity, he decided to create human beings so he could manifest himself to them and share himself with people. And that is you and me, my friend. That's why we're created. We're created to find enjoyment and fulfillment in God. He wants to fulfill every desire that you have. He really does. Within his, within his, his realm of what he deems holy and righteous, he wants to fulfill it. The problem lies when we go outside of that box and start trying to fulfill ourselves with other things the wrong way. And then it never works out. Look at the world. It's becoming more and more clear as the days go on, church, that there is a line of demarcation of those who want to find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we will say Jesus because everybody's talking about God now. It don't really you get specific people. The the, the crickets start chirping because everybody, even the Satanists talk about God. The Luciferians talk about God. Everybody's talking about God. But you mentioned the name of Jesus Christ. Now you're being real specific. But we're seeing a line of demarcation between those who want to be fulfilled and honor Jesus Christ and those who don't. It gets real unhealthy when you start going outside of Jesus Christ to get fulfillment and satisfaction. It's short lasting and it's short term. It's not for the eternal. And there are dire consequences when we try to get fulfillment in other things, in other people other than Jesus Christ. But you see, again, we were created to receive all of his goodness and pleasure. Think of your taste buds. Why were you given taste buds? You can taste sweet. You can taste savory. You can taste when it's not right, when it shouldn't be in your mouth. Get it out. Have you ever enjoyed a good meal and you just didn't scarf it down, but you just enjoyed it? You savored the flavor of whatever it is you were eating. That comes from the the, the creativity of God that designed it that way so you, his cherished creation, could enjoy the taste of food. He says, I want you to enjoy it. Where do we get breaking bread from? Because it's a good thing. That's fellowship. Fellowship in the spirit and you enjoy it over a meal. That is one of the most intimate things you could do with someone. And back in the day, in the Middle Eastern culture, they would dip. They would dip, double dip. So if you had cooties, you're getting my cooties because we we all double dipping up in here. (laughs) Ain't what nobody tripping off no virus or nothing. It is what it is. I'm double dipping and hey, it's all good because you're sharing part of me. And that's how we intertwine. But it's again to enjoy the, the fullness of what the Lord has for us. It's funny when you think of uh, your taste buds. He wants us to taste what is good, but ultimately it goes far beyond the physical into our innermost being. Psalm chapter 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, that's beautiful. Taste and see. Maybe you haven't tasted today that God is so good. Just look back on your life and think of all the things that you've gone through and you're still standing. That's a testament that God is good. He could have left you destitute, barren, naked, ashamed. But he didn't. He said, you know what, son, daughter, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to fix you up. I got a plan of redemption for your life. I got a plan to use your life where you can be a blessing to other people and that I will get glory because you're manifesting my, my truth in you and you'll be blessed because you're obedient. 
That's why you're here, church. That's why you're still here. Because he sees fit. And he wants, to, he wants to, you to enjoy him in this life. I remember the last time I went to Hawaii. And uh, there was one day where everybody was like, okay, we're going to get up early and we want to go see the sunrise. And, you know, we're right there. You know how it is when you're in Hawaii. It's like, you know what I mean? You walk like 10 feet and, and the, the ocean's right there. You know, you're whatever, where you're staying at. And, and so, you know, we went up and we're talking and, you know, it's, it's, it's tropical. So you don't got to have no sweater on. You know, you go, you got flip-flops on. And, and, you know, I just saw the sunrise. And it was so beautiful. I think I sent you that picture, Erica, of that, of that, of that horizon. And it was just beautiful. You know, it's just... Lord, this is great. This is magnificent. I mean, he gives us eyes to see if you can see. And maybe if you're blind, you can't see, but you can hear. And you can hear the beautiful sounds. You can hear the birds chirping in the morning. You can hear the sounds of nature and its creation. If you go somewhere, go walk out, you know, whatever, up at Lebanon. And, you know, you go on a trail and you just hear the sounds of nature. And it's so beautiful and you can feel the breeze and it's tranquil and it's soothing and it's peaceful. It's not like hearing, you know, cars, hearing, you know, 808, you know, you know, woofers slamming down the block. No, that's not that. (laughs) It's something way different. And this is what God meant for us because he wanted us to be uh, enjoying the pleasure that he gives us in life. How beautiful and enjoyable these things are, but they all have their anchor and their, 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 their starting point in God. You see, we can't create. We, 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 can, we, can, we, we, we can build things out of things that are already here, but God creates all this and he creates it for our benefit. This is exactly why you and I were created in God's image. So that we could be in a right relationship with him, able to receive All the goodness that he has in store for us today. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and 28 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Again, I can't drive this this point home more. God wants you this morning to experience his pleasure and goodness. I think sometimes we can get off track when we, we look to people to fulfill us. We're looking to, for people to fulfill us and we miss out on the relationship that God wants to have with us. He desires you to come to him and to be fulfilled in him. Don't look to people, look to God, amen? But this is the important thing with this. We must be in a correct posture to receive him. If we're not in the correct posture, we're not going to receive the goodness of God. That's where humility comes in. We have to assume the posture of humility, of saying, I withhold nothing from you, Lord. I submit my life to you. I allow you to be my Lord, my God. I identify with that, and I'm taking myself off the seat of being king. You're the king, not me. Your will be done, not mine. This again is the whole picture of Jesus Christ being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. The church submits to the head. Christ is the head. We're the body. And in the body, it don't matter. The left little pinky toenail is super important. It's going to get more honor than the the one that's, you know, whatever the bicep or whatever it is, you know, to be looked at as, oh, that's more important. No. We all have a function to play, but Christ is the head. This picture of Christ being the bridegroom and the church, us being the bride, this is important. Just as a woman receives her husband and bears his children, so we, the church, receive Christ and are imputed with his righteousness. That was never ours before. We receive it. He gives it to us and we receive we have none to, 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 to give of our own, but he rec- we receive it. He gives it. This is because 
His love for us is now freely received as we own it because he gives for what he did. This is the only way you and I are able to truly eat, drink, and be merry in a fallen world. Amen? Because you can have the, 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 you know, the nicest ribeye steak or tomahawk steak or you know, whatever, tri-tip, and you can have all the fixings, but you know, the Bible talks about it. You, know, you got a big feast, but there's no peace there within. It's bitterness. It's like, oh, you're better off just eating herbs. <laughs> herbs where there's love is better than a big feast where there's hate within and, and, and jealousy within. So in order to truly eat, drink, and be merry in this fallen world, we need to have the proper perspective of who God is and understand that these good things come from Him. And He wants us to enjoy them. Amen? All right, let's look at verse 8. It says, Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So we see this first statement, let your garments be always white. White clothes, they look fresh. They're clean until a stain soils them and the purity of the color is, is, is compromised. I'll say it for the sake of just this is kind of where I came out of. There was once upon a time, you know, some years ago they say Coke white tea. It was these men that were, you know, wearing these white T-shirts, just a plain white T-shirt, but they want to look fly. Hoodlums gangbangers, whatever, but they want to look clean or you have a pair of white shoes. Don't want you ever wear a pair of white shoes. You're always trying to keep your white shoes clean, man. Don't step on my white shoes. Hey, people got killed for stepping on people's shoes. It sounds silly, but some people that are really into their shoes, man, they, they'll, they'll, you know, my mom would always say New York, man, they, they'll, they'll shoot you at the drop of a hat. Well, here in California too, they'll shoot you at the drop of a hat. You step on somebody's white shoes, you might get hurt. Anyways, the whole point is White is beautiful, fresh, and clean, even in the physical, until something soils the purity of that color. Wearing white is cherished, even though it's an extreme challenge to preserve the color. Think about wedding dresses. Wedding dresses are traditionally white to show the purity and the virginity of the woman wearing the gown. The Bible describes us saints as those dressed in white. Revelation chapter 19 verse 8 says, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Again, speaking of her being the bride of Christ, the church, we, we are to be clothed in white garments. We are to be pure of heart. We are to be righteous with the deeds that we do. Are we living like that today, church? White describes righteousness and purity. There is much to be said about people who are cheerful, not only about their clothing, but mainly about their inner purity and righteousness. Today, if you're, whether you're an older lady or a younger lady, are you a prude? Are you prudent? It's a good thing to be a prude. It's a bad thing to just be, you know, playing fast and wild. You need to play slow and low. <laughs> Have some prudence. As they say, don't let it all hang out. Preserve yourself. First and foremost for the Lord. And second of all, for the, your integrity and for the one you love. It takes vigilance and care to avoid staining a white garment. And in the same way, it takes quality to maintain a good name and a reputation. This is what the Bible calls living above reproach. To live a life that is blameless before others. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 tells us, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach. Now this verse, I understand it may be in regards to elders and pastors of the church within the body of Christ. But all believers should desire to live a life of high integrity in Christ Jesus. This is not just set for those who preach and teach. Every single one of us should have the desire to want to be sober minded, self-controlled, respectable. Your, your reputation should precede you everywhere you go. 
The only hate you should find is people hating you because you're a do-gooder. Because you're living a righteous life and they can't find any fault in you and they hate it. They gnash their teeth at you because you have no guilt. You have no fun. They just, oh, I hate you. I hate on you. Because why? They're broken people and they really envy you. It's sad. They want what you want. So that's when you come in and say, hey, man, I got the righteousness of the love of Christ. You can have it too. <laughs> this is how you do it. I lead you in a prayer. <laughs> read, read the book of Romans. Read the book of John, man. I'll tell you all about it. But this is what it is, church, how we are to live. You see, here in our text is no different. White garments, again, are a symbol of practical righteousness, of good deeds being done that flow out of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that good works are just a reflection of a heart that's been changed in Christ Jesus. And so from that heart that's been changed in Christ Jesus, it's an outpouring of good works that come. He set these good works up for us from, you know, eternity past. We just have to decide to walk in them. And when, 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 when we dedicate our lives to Christ, there's really no way around it. You're going to produce good fruit. You and I are supposed to be expert fruit inspectors, starting with our own lives. Inspect your life today. Where's the fruit? Is the fruit fresh and ripe and good and, and luscious, ready to be bitten into because there's so much goodness and nutrition in it? Or do you have decrepit, decaying uh, 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 what, what, fermenting fruit about to fall off the limb or is your limb bare we have to be fruit inspectors starting with ourselves and then with others as well be wise church of who you listen to inspect the fruit do, do their lives produce fruit it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what I say. If my life is not producing fruit, I am lying. If you're saying one thing, but your actions do not show it, you're not producing fruit and you're lying. I just had to have this conversation with my son this morning. I said, son, I hear what you're saying, but I'm gauging everything on your actions. Your actions are showing me that you haven't got it yet. And I'm not, I wasn't being hard on my son, but this is I got to I got to reprove and correct. This is part of the lifestyle. Train up your children in the way they should go. I don't want to just hear X, Y, and Z because it's gotten old now at eight years old. wonder what it's going to be at 16. <laughs> but we gauge it based on actions, right? Remember, since we have received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are able in Him to have our spiritual lives unstained by sin and darkness. It's all what he's done. We just have to receive it. We just have to say, hey, Lord, that's for me. I receive it. Have you, have you said to the Lord, I receive the goodness that you have for me? Have you prayed that over your life? Have you prayed that over your children's life? Have you prayed that over your loved one's lives? Lord, we receive the goodness that you have for us. I receive it gladly. Many times you and I have to will this to happen. Because our emotions are fickle and they come and go. We have to will to believe the word of God. That's the importance of staying in the word. So we can will it. So we can understand it and apply it to our lives. You see, we are called, church, to always have white garments. You are holy. It's not about a feeling. It's not about some emotional experience. Because you can have an emotional experience in this room and cry your eyes out and go out and sin 20 minutes later. So don't tell me it's about raising your hand and crying because it ain't about that. It, 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 it's about obedience. And that's again, it comes back to the will. How are you using your will? How am I using my will? Many times it ain't going to feel good to do the right thing because you're fighting against your flesh and your flesh wants one thing and your spirit wants another. And so you're constantly warring against yourself. You're like, man, Lord. Paul talked about it. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do do. Do do. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do do. Go to the bathroom. <laughs> but we are called to, 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 to have garments of white church. 
Because we live in a world that is fallen and full of sin and death, both physical and spiritual, we must be on guard against the spiritual wickedness that is constantly trying to trip us up. This is just, I know it's not fair. I know nobody likes it. I don't like it. But the reality is this is what we're in. We're in a spiritual warfare. And this is what goes on day in and day out throughout the day. Whenever, whenever. (laughs) It don't stop. Just because you're off of work, just because you're tired and you want to go to sleep, the spiritual warfare doesn't stop. You think for one nanosecond Satan is taking a break? He knows his time is short. He's trying to lure as many souls as he can, charming them with, hey, I'll give you what you want now, but at some point you're going to give me your eternal soul and you're going to be in hell with me. This battle is always ongoing. And if you're not on, and if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, you will be compromised. It's just a matter of time. You see, things don't happen in a vacuum. A house does not explode out of nowhere. There's a slow leak. That's why we have to keep short accounts with the, with the Lord, church. Because if we think we could just go, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But you got this little slow week, then all of a sudden, that's how people fall out. That's how churches fold. They don't, they don't fold out of nowhere. They're, there's a slow leak. And, and it's not being addressed. And in our personal lives, that's why people go out and commit adultery. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It means over time. Resentment builds up. And when Satan comes to you and says, oh, poor you, you deserve so much better. Look at how long you've been faithful and this is how they're doing you. Why don't you go get yours? Whenever Satan comes to you with that sob story, you better run as quick as you can because he has got something up his sleeve and he's trying to get you. Keep short accounts, church. It's not even in my notes. Keep short accounts. This is why we daily must strive to get through that narrow gate. Don't allow yourself to be enticed by the broad road that leads to destruction. So many are on it. The trinkets and the things of this world that try to gravitate towards you. Dangling that carrot in front of you. Don't don't be like that. And go following after it. Keep your eyes on Christ. Amen. We must develop through the power, the wisdom, the discernment and insight of the Holy Spirit. A militant mindset, if you will, when it comes to guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a game. That's why I say it's not the faint of heart, man. Many are called, but few are chosen. Some people see the demands and they're like, I, I, really, I really don't want to be a Christian now. Man, it's gangster. It is. It's gangster to be a Christian, man. You got to be hard to be a Christian. You got to know that you know that you know and walk that line. It's not a joke. It's the most intense, extreme, rewarding lifestyle you could ever live. That who tries to keep his life is going to lose it. But those who lose their life for the sake of Jesus Christ will gain it. You see, sometimes we just don't want to give up the things that we've coveted. That we've grown accustomed to. That we're comfortable with. I get it. I go through the same thing and the Lord is purging it. Purge, purge this out, purge this out. I'm like, Lord, ah, I'm losing this. He says, you're losing it for my sake, son. Let go. Sometimes you and I just hold things too tight. And the things we're holding too tight, it's just, uh, it's just, it vanishes. It's not even real. We've just built it in our mind, this illusion that these things and this stuff and these activities are fulfilling us. It goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You either choose to find fulfillment in God or you're going to go your own way and try to find fulfillment in all this other stuff and all these other people. Don't allow yourself to be disillusioned by falsehood. (laughs) We all need more discernment each and every day so we can see clearly past the schemes of the devil and we can see clearly what God has for us. His banner over us is love. But do we see it as such? Do we receive it in such a way where we understand, Lord, you love me. Your correction is love. Oh, but it hurts so bad. Oh, but it's so uncomfortable. Oh, but I don't like it. But he's trying to conform you and I into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And we are so far from that. That's why it hurts all the time. Because he's like, I got to pluck this out. I got to pluck that out. (laughs) When you're parents and you have children, you know what I'm talking about. 
It's your lifelong, one of your lifelong goals is to make sure your children grow up the right way. And so it's just all through childhood from, from potty training on, it's just it's constant correction. And you have grown adult children and they still need to be corrected. Maybe it's not you correcting them now, but you're praying, Lord, get a hold of them. <laughs> Choke them out, Lord. Hit them with that holy stick so they get it. Right? Am I right or wrong? That's just what it is. Because we are all in that same boat of trying to be fashioned into the form of who Christ is. And no longer like that first Adam, our old sinful nature. As we truly, as true followers of Christ Jesus, we we must seize his word and let nothing else in. What I mean by that, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy activities. I'm not saying be legalistic. I'm not saying go up into the hills and become somebody who, you know, you live in a monastery. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when it comes to the very acute, important things of the spiritual world, we need to seize God's word and let nothing else in. Don't let the culture dictate to you. Don't let, uh, you know, all of fashion world dictate to you. Don't let, you know, false idols, false religions, false teachers, even within the church. Don't let any of those people. But the word of God, this is why, again, it's so important to fact check. What is this person teaching me? If I'm teaching you falsehood, you better know about it. You better call me on it. You better be in your word so you can say amen to amen and say, no, man, that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Don't listen to it, whether it's me or any other pastor. But how are you going to know that if you're not in the word daily? That's what I'm saying. Get in the word. Seize his word. Don't let anything else in. You see, the rewards for living this way are great in this life and in the future. There's so much to be gained by living for the Lord. And most importantly, it's him. He is our exceedingly great reward. You get him. What more do you want? He provides you everything you need. He gives you your very breath. He gives you what you need. He gives you the ability to live. You cannot live independently of your creator. So why wouldn't you want to bask in his goodness all the days of your life? Trust me, all the other things in this life, they they pale in comparison. They all lose their luster. They do not supply you what you really are searching after. The Bible tells us the description of white garments when referring to the condition of a person of great righteousness. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 tells us, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Hallelujah, praise God. I want that to be me. By keeping our inner garments pure, we will please Father God. This is a side note, but this is, this is an application. Early on in the book of Joshua, Yahweh revealed to him how he could have continuous victory in his life. To always keep his garments white. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 tells us, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, when you meditate on God's word day and night throughout the day, I'm not saying you got to be in the book when you're reading. What I'm saying is when you are in the word of God and fellowshipping with him long enough, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance what you need to know. And that's called meditating on the word of God. You see, when a cow eats, it has multiple stomachs. It chews the cut. It goes in the first part of the one stomach. Then it comes back up. He chews the cut again. Then it goes into the other part of the second stomach. Then it comes back up again. He chews the cut again. And then it does whatever it does in that big old belly of his. And then he poos it out. You and I need to meditate on the word like that. It's not about reading five, six chapters a day. Now, if that's you and you retain it far and well, that's between you and the Lord. But what I'm saying is meditate on the word. You can take a small portion of scripture. You can take one, two, three, four verses a day. And if you actually meditate on it, you read it, you ponder it, you pray it back to the Lord. You ask him, Lord, help me to understand this. Make this real in my life. That's you like the cow chewing the cud and you're meditating on the word of God. And you will see the benefits of meditation of the word of God in your life. And you will have great success. This is what Yahweh told Joshua. He said, if you, if you, if you actually meditate on my word day and night... And be careful to do what it says. He said, 
It's going to make all your ways, all your ways, everything you do is going to prosper. And you're going to have great success. Who doesn't want success? Well, he tells us right here, that's how you do it. Daily, we are to meditate, focus on God's word and apply it to our lives. The book of John tells us in John chapter one, verses one through four. This is this is tying it all together. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with with God. All things were made through him and without him there was nothing made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. We know that this word is Jesus Christ. Jesus is he 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 is the uh, the word of God is the expression of Christ. This is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 tell us long ago many times And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to to us by his son, whom we whom he, excuse me, appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, Jesus Christ is the physical manifestation of the word of God. By studying, meditating, and praying the word of God daily, we are guaranteed to have victory over our flesh, Satan, and sin because we are meditating on Christ. And Christ is the one who went to the cross, who died for our sin. He's the one who conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. So when you focus and meditate on him, and he's in you, and you in him, you're going to benefit every single time. You see how that all works? But it's, it's keeping a close account. That's why he says, I've grafted you in. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The temptation can't overtake you. The lack of money can't overtake you. What the doctor says can't overtake you. Your married or single status cannot overtake you. Whatever's going on in your family, good or bad, cannot overtake you unless you allow it to. Because he tells you and me right here how we can be victorious. Somebody better praise God right now. <laughs> Daily Bible reading is so important because we, when we spend time in God's word, we actually meet with him. That's the whole point of getting in God's word. That's why I'm not against, you know, 365 days, read the Bible in a year. But you know what? If your head's not screwed on straight from the jump and you know what's really going on, you get in the word to meet with him. I don't get in the word to make a, meet a quota. I don't get in the word to prepare a message. You get in the word to meet with God so you can get real revelation, understanding, wisdom, discernment, and you can apply it to your life. That's why you meet with God. That's how you meet with God. That's the main way. That's the main way. I can pray all day. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm not in the word, I'm really not going to understand because I have no bearing or understanding of what he even wants in the first place. But when you get in the word, then everything else kind of trickles along the way how he wants it to flow. That's how we got to do it, church. We meet with him so we can get a deeper revelation of truth. And that truth is the truth that is able to save our souls. This is how you can have continued victory in your life daily. It's before you. This is what you need to do. There's no other way around it. There's no self-help book from Dr. Phil, from Oprah, from Reader's Digest. None of those things are going to eternally give you what you need. It's only the holy canon of scripture that will give it to you. I don't care what anybody else has to say. This is God's word. This is the truth. The truth. We see let no oil be lacking on your head. Oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit at work. So don't let oil be lacking on your head. My face probably looks oily right now. (laughs) that's okay Luke chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 tells us the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me Jesus said he's been anointed to proclaim the good news the spirit of the Lord is And the oil of anointing are directly linked. 
The oil of anointing stands as a physical representation of Jesus Christ being given the Spirit to perform these functions for Father God in His service to men. This is why when we pray for people, we anoint them with oil. There's nothing special or magical about the oil. It's just this is symbolism. It's symbolic of what we believe. And this is why we do it. The application is this. We are to live lives that are filled with the Spirit of God. Full of good works, flowing out of the, rec- the realization and the recognition that God has already accepted us. Amen? Verse 9. It says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Hear me, church. The saddest state any person can be in is the state of regret. Wishing you could turn back the hands of time and do things differently. There is a real sense of hopelessness when we live in regret. I can only imagine how horrible it must feel to be on your deathbed wishing that you could do things differently. Wishing you could have spent more time with your loved ones. Wishing you could have done more to be around the people that you loved and cared about. Not enjoying time with the one you love. Verse 9 tells us, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. He tells us this is your portion in life. This is what you receive. Father God ordained marriage for this specific reason. And it is right to enjoy the fullness of marriage. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 tells us, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, men here are encouraged to enjoy the time that they have in fellowship with the wife of their youth. Men, let me ask you this morning, do you enjoy your wives? Do you enjoy your time with your wife? That's something only you can answer. That's something only you can answer. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 18 tells us, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I don't need to kind of get into it. We kind of, if you've read that portion of scripture, you already know what he's talking about. Keep your eyes in your skull, Ben. (laughs) Don't be looking to and fro. (laughs) Enjoy the wife of your youth. Obviously, this is a specific encouragement for husbands to wives. While at the same time, wives can apply this to their husbands. Husbands. But what about singles? What about singles? In a broader sense, this applies to them as well. How so? You may ask. Well, once again, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. The body of Christ is commanded to enjoy sweet fellowship with Christ, not only for eternity in heaven, but also here and now on earth. The whole principle is this, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 down through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. The application is this. Instead of our time being preoccupied, excuse me, with chasing after things that really don't matter, we are to enjoy the company that the Lord has given us in this life with those we love, whoever that is. Okay? Because we could easily say, well, I don't have this, or I don't have that person, or look at the person you gave me. Hey, if you're married, you chose that person. Don't put that on the Lord, man. That was a free will choice you made. Now, till death do you part. It is what it is. We're imperfect people. And don't think some one person is going to complete you. Unless Christ is the glue in your marriage, that woman, that man is going to fail you. Because we're wretched sinners trying to come together, trying to get it right. Trust me. We know. You guys know. You guys are older than me. You know. Preaching to the choir, right? So Christ needs to be the center. 
But instead of us chasing after things and preoccupying our time, chasing after things that really have no worth, we need to spend time, quality time with those we love. You know, if you've had a day, men, and you're at work, stop, man. Give your wife a call. Tell her you love her. Do something out of the norm. Be spontaneous. I need to take this advice myself. <laughs> Make that trip and visit your adult children. Engage with them. Spend time with them. Take time out of your day and spend quality time with the ones you love. Amen? This is the last verse, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Okay, so we got to remember and understand the premise and how Solomon wrote this, right? He, he wrote this with the under-the-sun perspective of life. He was writing this looking at, like, this life, that's all there is. So he was, like I would say, very depressed about this whole situation. Depressed for those people who look at life without, the, without honoring God. He's like, man, this is horrible. This is all you have is here now. So to work hard at whatever you do in this sense is coming from the reality that after you die, there's no more work to be done. So you better take advantage of what you have to do to put your hands to do now. No projects to advance, no more effort to be given. Solomon is basically saying, if this life is all you live for, you might as well work hard at your lot in life. Again, we see there is nothing truly new under the sun. I won't say his name, but even a well-known pastor from a megachurch has written a book entitled Seven Steps to Living Your Best Life Now. Seven steps? Really? Okay. It's interesting. When you understand what actually came along with the creation of Adam and Eve, you kind of get a better understanding of this whole thing of working and working hard. Okay? You see, Adam wasn't just created... To sit back, relax, and be idle. He wasn't made sipping a pina colada with his feet on a, on, a, on a hammock, laying back, kicking it. That was not the deal. No. He was created with one of his purposes being to be productive. He was supposed to be productive and do. Acting upon what the Lord had told him to do. To work hard at naming all the animals and managing the Garden of Eden. Remember, before the fall of humanity, before sin came into the world, putting in effort, accomplishing a goal was not something that was burdensome. It wasn't like toiling. It wasn't, he was like, oh, I can't believe, oh, my back hurts. No, I don't want to do this. It wasn't that at all. There was an enjoyment. There was a fulfillment. There was an engaging with the task that Adam had to do. And, and he was having a great time. He was having a blast. It wasn't painstaking and it was not a chore. It was a blessing and it was a joy to complete the task that God had arranged for Adam to do. But after the fall of humanity, all people would have to earn their keep by the sweat of their brow. And now it became burdensome. And now it became toil and it became difficult and hard. So with an under the sun perspective, all you have to look forward to is working hard at whatever you do. But for the followers of Jesus Christ, we are also called to work hard. But we have the blessed assurance of heaven in the life to come. Either way, humanity was not created to be idle. We were not created to be. Uh, you know, uh, we weren't redeemed to be idle. We weren't quickened to be idle. We were not um, given God's grace to be idle. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4 tells us, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The application is this, as Isaiah and uh, Michelle come up. I'll be uh, wrapping it up right now. We must remember to enjoy our God-given work. Whatever he's placed us in, whatever your occupation is, whatever you're at currently, it's not about the grass is greener on the other side. It's how can I do my due diligence now and how can I enjoy it? There's things he's forging and forming in you that could only happen in this season of life. God bless you. Work is not something that we are forced to do in order to keep alive. 
Work is actually a blessing, and we should see it that way. It's a privilege to work. We just need to have the proper perspective on how we view work. Again, do it with all your might. Do not just get through it the best you can so you can get home and say to yourself, okay, the weekend started. I mean, I've caught myself saying that. Man, it's been hard. It's been busy. I'm ready for the weekend. We've all said it. But we we need not just trudge through the week. Because that's not the biblical way. The biblical approach to work is, Lord, you've given this to me as a gift and I will enjoy it. Do we live like this? We who are Christians, we who know the reality of the gift of righteousness and have discovered the secret of contentment, are we enjoying the work that is ours to do? I'll end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. May we be those who do everything we do to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just your truth, Lord. You, you, You speak reality to us, the reality that we need to know. I pray, Father, that you would impute to us the wisdom, the love, the favor, the discernment, the righteousness that we need so we can leave this building and apply these principles to our lives. May we find enjoyment in those around us that we love. If we're married, it's our wife. If, if, it's, if we're wives, it's our husband. If we're, if we're single, it's, the, it's, it's our loved ones around us. May we find enjoyment in our work. May we do whatever we do to the best of our ability. And may you help us to keep our hearts unstained from the, the, the sickness of this world and the sin that so easily entangles humanity. Father, we thank you and we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.